0: happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Trump's legal team seeks a years-long delay for the trial in the D.C. 2020 election case. And we have updates on the former president's response to the Georgia indictment. Not 10 commandments, but 10 truths. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy shares what he calls the most important truths. They include God, family, and the country. Hawaiians come together in Lahaina. Some say they aren't holding their breath for government aid. Meanwhile, the island sends mixed messages about whether tourists are welcome. Evergrande, one of China's largest and most well known property developers, files for bankruptcy. The property company's debt reached over $340 billion at the end of last year. Two dancing brothers dedicated to a classical Chinese art form. We have their story, and how they came to cherish traditional Chinese culture. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news is on former President Trump. His legal team wants to delay the start date of the DC case years down the line. And as for the Georgia indictment, NTD's Melina Wisecup joins us from the Fulton County Jail, where the sheriff says the defendants will be booked. What updates do you have for us this afternoon, Melina?
1: Good afternoon, Chris. Yes, in a turn of events, former President Trump has canceled that press conference that he scheduled for next Monday in New Jersey, meant to refute this Georgia indictment. We'll read you exactly what Trump had to say about why he's canceling this press conference, if we we could just show it on the screen here as I read it. He said, instead of releasing the report on the Georgia election, my lawyers would prefer putting this, I believe, irrefutable and overwhelming evidence of election fraud and irregularities in formal legal filings. Therefore, the news conference is no longer necessary. Now, this comes after a Georgia state senator or Republican by the name of Colton Moore did request a special session here in the state of Georgia to investigate the actions of District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who has indicted Trump as well as those 18 others. But the Georgia governor, a Republican, Brian Kemp, said that this is pointless, which means the only way that this uh, this special session could happen in the state of Georgia is if two-thirds of legislators here agree with him he did write an exclusive statement to our sister media the Epoch Times I'm demanding that we defund her office until we can find out what is going on we cannot stand idly by as corrupt prosecutors choose to target their political opposition Chris
0: now as for the DOJ's election case against Trump we know Trump's lawyers want to request a date years ahead what can you tell us about that
1: So his lawyers did request an April 2026 start date for that trial that the DOJ is leading against former President Trump regarding the 2020 election. They argue that they just don't have enough time to review all the documents that are included here that Trump is being charged with. They say there are 11 and a half million documents, which if on stacked on top of each other, would amount to a 5,000 foot high stack of papers. So they say it's impossible for them to meet that January 2nd deadline line that special counsel Jack Smith had previously requested. Ultimately, it is up to the judge as to which uh, start date is for that trial. We're We're watching that in the D.C. case, but we're also watching for whether or not the judge confirms the district attorney's March 4th proposal for that trial date here in the state of Georgia.
0: All right. Thank you, Melina. A federal judge in Delaware dismisses two misdemeanor tax charges against Hunter Biden. The president's son allegedly failed to pay taxes on time in 2017 and 2018. The charges were part of his now-defunct plea deal. They were dropped at the request of Special Counsel David Weiss. Closing the book on that case enables him to pursue new charges in California or Washington, D.C. IRS whistleblowers told Congress they recommended charging the president's son with six felonies, including tax evasion and filing false tax returns. The tax case against Biden is separate from felony gun possession charges he's also facing. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy publicizing what he calls his 10 truths. They, revol- they revolve around the importance of God, family, and country. Let's take a look.
2: Presidential Candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is sharing his 10 Truths. Ramaswamy took to X, formerly known as Twitter, where the list begins with God is real and there are two genders. Some other notable ones are an open border is no border. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governments known to mankind and capitalism lifts people up from poverty. He posted the list after speaking at an event in California. At the event, Ramaswamy spoke about his past and how he became successful in the U.S.
3: My parents came to this country 40 years ago with no money. In a single generation, I have gone on to found multi-billion-dollar companies and did it while marrying my wife Apoorva and raising our two sons.
2: However, he went on to say that he's worried that this American dream will not exist for his sons and their generation, because the country is experiencing a national identity crisis. He says that's because traditional ideals have disappeared and have been replaced by secular religions in America.
3: Wokeism, transgenderism, climatism, covidism, globalism, depression, anxiety, fentanyl, suicide. These are symptoms of a deeper void of purpose and meaning in our country.
2: He went on to say what the traditional values are that the u.s lost which could bring back meaning to people's lives
3: faith patriotism belief in god nation the things we talked about when those have disappeared that leaves a moral vacuum in its
2: wake ramaswamy made the comments just days before his first republican primary debate the debate is said to be held on wednesday in milwaukee
0: five members of the proud boys are awaiting sentencing Federal prosecutors recommending sentences of between 20 and 33 years for their involvement in the January 6th Capitol breach. Four members were convicted of seditious conspiracy in May. The fifth member was acquitted on that charge but could be looking at 20 years in jail for assaulting, resisting, or impeding a certain officers. He was accused of smashing a Capitol window with a stolen police shield, which prosecutors say led to the first breach of the Capitol building. Hearings for sentencing are scheduled for August 28th. Currently, the longest January 6th sentence was given to the head of the Oath Keepers, who is serving 18 years in federal prison. House Democrats seeking a probe into family separation at the Texas border. The Congressional Hispanic Caucus is leading the push for an inquiry. The group sent a letter to the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice. They expressed concern over the Texas Department of Public Safety's separation of illegal immigrant families. Congresswoman Nanette Barragan says the Texas governor has escalated inhumane border policies, which she says are causing harm to innocent families. The group cited reports that at least 26 families have been broken up since July 10th, with fathers arrested for criminal trespass and placed in state prison. Meanwhile, Republican Congressman Chip Roy is calling on Republicans to block funding for homeland security until the Biden administration improves border security. He said criminal cartels control the southern border and migrants are dying on Texas ranches and along the Rio Grande. Rio also, Roy also said little children are being enslaved in the sex trafficking trade. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has requested that now-defunct Manhattan Metropolitan Correctional Center be used to house migrants. It's part effort to deal with the city's influx of illegal immigrants. A lawyer from Air Adams listed various sites in a letter to New York Governor Kathy Hochul. The letter requested permission from the federal government to utilize closed correctional facilities amid severe overcrowding in city-run shelters. The Manhattan jail was closed down in 2021. That followed years of complaints over unsafe conditions, including sewage, floods, vermin infestations, COVID outbreaks, as well as security breaches. The Federal Bureau of Prisons said yesterday it could not comment on any discussion about the Manhattan jail. A spokeswoman for the mayor also had no comment. Coming up, Hurricane Hillary is approaching the West Coast. Southern California and surrounding areas could see flash floods and high winds. President Biden declines to give further details about his upcoming trip to Hawaii in response to a reporter's questions. And the Biden administration strikes a deal with Iran, $6 billion for five American hostages. We hear from a critic of the deal when we return. Back to the news. Hurricane Hillary is expected to hit Mexico and then head into California. Southern California and surrounding areas could see flash floods, mudslides, and high winds. By the time the storm reaches California on Sunday night, it is expected to have weakened to a tropical storm. Early today, the system reached the strength of a category four hurricane. Maximum sustained winds reached 140 miles per hour. Southwestern states are under flood alerts. Two to six inches of rain are expected in most areas, but some could see up to 10 inches. Tropical storms and hurricanes are rare in California. The last time a tropical storm made landfall in California was in 1939. The last time a tropical storm entered California after making landfall elsewhere, but impacting California was Hurricane Nora in 2021. Hundreds of Hawaiians continue to help neighbors in Lahaina. The beachside community is sticking together following the country's deadliest wildfire in over a century. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on the Maui Strong.
3: Last week's wildfire has left much of the Lahaina community homeless. Now county-run shelters, donated hotel rooms, vacation rentals, and family and friends are stepping up.
4: This is a tent that we've been living in since that time, and our homes are fine, um, but we're here for our community. Our nonprofit, Na o Maui, is here for our community.
3: Claudio Dortret flew to Maui from Oahu to help with relief efforts. He said much of the community doesn't have faith in the government response.
5: They believe that the money will go elsewhere, and they're afraid that they're not going to get no money towards them, no resources towards them. So they're afraid that the government will misuse, or all these organizations will misuse the money and do something else with the money and not help help the people who lost everything.
3: Instead of waiting for local or federal government relief, the community sprang into
4: action. We are grassroots, and we're showing that our communities can do it. Without FEMA, without Red Cross, our people can come in and manage their own. They don't need all of the outsiders to come in maha'oi and tell us what to do and how to live. No, we got it.
3: At this relief center, nearby luxury hotels have donated shampoos and body wash. Others have provided boxes of diapers, bags of rice, pallets of bottled water, cans of pineapple rings and spam.
4: People that lost their clo- their cars, people that lost everything and are living in neighbors' houses or whatever, they need, we need to be close to them so they can come and get supplies, so they can have a hub to come to.
3: Last week's wildfires in Maui killed more than 100 people. More than 1,000 are still missing. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: The maker of Beanie Babies says it's releasing a new limited-edition bear to help wildfire survivors in Hawaii. It's named Aloha, and it's gold with a rainbow ribbon and the words Maui Strong on its chest. T.Y. Warner says all profits from its sale will go to the American Red Cross. Beanie Babies come with birthdays and poems. Aloha's birthday is August 8th, the day wildfires took off in Maui. Its poem says, quote, Helping each other all day long, we forever will stay Maui strong. Should tourists visit or stay away from Hawaii in the wake of the devastating Lahaina wildfires? We have more on how locals and tourists feel in the aftermath of the tragedy.
3: The sight of tourists enjoying Maui's tropical beaches is a sharp contrast to the reality for the rest of the island. Search and rescue teams are still looking for casualties following the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than a century. Some residents are outraged. Canadian tourist Don Bucky and his wife experienced the tension firsthand.
6: We were out for dinner, and uh, my wife went out to use the washroom,
0: and um, there was a, a person out there who was um, upset that tourists were still here and and just you know wondering
6: why we were still here.
3: Tourist Stan Levitsky says authorities are sending mixed messages.
6: You know, it feels like the governor's waffling, to be honest. First, they said no travel, now they're saying, well, part of, part of the island, it's OK, right? And tomorrow, it'll be some other story.
3: At Kihei Cafe, business is slow. This Kihei Cafe is one of the most popular breakfast places in this town. Usually, it would be like lying, up fun. At least 10 to 11 people, all even longer. And, but right now, if you look around, it's just empty. Chef Courtney Walter is currently making meal boxes for fire survivors. The caterer says the initial anger came from a place of panic.
1: So people freaked out, I think, and were like, we can't have people here. And I think that's how I felt too. We're like, we can't have tourists here right now. We need to feed and take care of our own people.
3: But there's a flip side as well.
1: But. No, we, us here in Kihei and in Wailea and a lot of places in Kula, Makawa, Haiku, those places are still running and all those people still have their bills to pay and they're single parents and they have mortgages and they own businesses.
3: According to Hawaii's Department of Business, Economic Development and Tourism, the island welcomed more than 9.2 million visitors in 2022. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Reporters asked President Biden yesterday about his upcoming trip to the state of Hawaii, but the president declined to give further details. Can you
1: tell us about your Hawaii trip, sir?
0: No,
7: not now. I'm going to be leaving and I'll be there on Monday.
0: Biden is traveling to the area with the first lady. Soon after the fires, he pledged that Hawaii will get everything it needs and authorized FEMA to provide emergency aid. But the day the news broke, he reportedly responded no comment when asked about the rising death toll. He has faced criticism for not making many comments on the disaster. Six billion dollars for five American hostages held in Iran. Critics are condemning this Biden administration deal. We speak to one such critic about the implications of the exchange, geopolitical analyst Brandon Weikert. Brandon Weikert, thank you for joining us.
6: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back.
0: Brandon, what are the implications of paying ransom money to Iran for these hostages?
6: Well, it's basically feeding the tiger or the crocodile, hoping that it'll eat you last. Be a, Rest assured that that money will not be used for humanitarian purposes, despite what the White House is assuring us.
0: And uh, what do you think the money will be used for? Iran has been called the world's leading state sponsor of terror.
6: It's exactly right. That's what it's going to be used for. It'll be used for funding Hezbollah and Hamas in their ongoing war against Israel. It'll be used to build greater and more accurate precision-guided missiles, longer range, as well as expanding their nuclear weapons program, all of which threaten us.
0: Um, Now, the White House announced this deal while Congress is in recess, and uh, Richard Goldberg of the Dispatch argues this is to avoid having to notify Congress. What's your take?
6: I think Richard Goldberg is completely correct. This whole thing smells. It's a terrible deal, and we're only feeding the beast that is the mad mullahs. And it's part, I think, of a larger move by the Biden administration to ultimately get a nuclear deal with Iran like what Obama had and that Trump had killed.
0: And just to refresh our audiences, uh, about what that deal was.
6: Yeah, basically, we would step aside and let Iran not only have a clear path to nuclear weapons, but we would also integrate Iran into the world economy and political order, the way that Richard Nixon and Jimmy Carter did, ultimately, with China. And we all know how that ended up with China. Imagine now the crazy regime of Iran being given the same treatment. Not good for us.
0: And so how does the Biden administration's approach to freeing American hostages in Iran compare to that of previous administrations?
6: Well, the Biden administration's approach to freeing uh, Iranian hostages is they're doing this very surreptitiously. At least previous administrations have been very open about the fact they were doing it. Uh, The the Biden administration is doing it through third parties, and whenever it comes up, they're lying to us about what the money will be used for. Of course it's not going to be used for humanitarian purposes, whatever that means. It's going to be used to build up the Iranian war machine, which is directly pointed against the United States. So we're basically fueling their war machine. Machine under the pretext of we're getting five or six people back, which is good, but unfortunately, I don't know if it's worth it.
0: Yeah, and now critics have said that um, a deal like this could promote future hostage-taking and um, increased um, ransom money. What's your take on their perspective?
6: I think they're 100% correct again. I think that it used to be a, a hallmark of our country's foreign policy that we do not negotiate with terrorists as official policy. And whether we like to admit it or not, whether the Biden administration thinks it's this or not, The Iranian regime currently is a terrorist organization masquerading as a state, and therefore we have no business doing anything with them that would give them more money and more leverage. And they absolutely will do this again and become even worse abusers of the hostage-taking strategy, because they know they'll get something from this current administration.
0: How do you think these kinds of situations should be handled?
6: I don't think there should be any negotiation. I think that the threat of military force should always be on the table for these kinds of situations. Uh, I understand people don't want to be involved in the Middle East militarily anymore. I don't either. Um, But when an enemy regime like Iran takes our people hostage, we are not going to negotiate. We have the right to attack.
0: All right, Brandon Weikert, thank you again. Thank you. When we come back, the entire police force of a small Minnesota town quits. Find out why, and why a state lawmaker says it's a national problem. The Writers Guild of America met again with major studios to seek a deal. That's as the writers' strike enters its 108th day. And Bud Light resumes a sponsorship deal with the Washington Commanders football team. We'll have the details soon when we return. Back to the news. A Minnesota lawmaker has weighed in on a small town's entire police force resigning. She says it serves as a warning for the entire country. The town of Good Hugh, Minnesota has a population of 1,300 and a police force of two full-time and five part-time officers. The entire police force resigned last week, citing compensation as the reason. Minnesota Representative Pam Altendorf told Fox News it reflects a police shortage that exists statewide. She says the crisis began during the 2020 George Floyd riots. She says the shortage hurts small town police forces because officers can be lured away to bigger cities that can afford to pay more. Altendorf says low morale is another cause of the shortage. She says the source of the issue goes all the way to the top leadership in the state. She pointed to the Defund the Police movement. Here to discuss the impact of such calls to defund the police on small and rural police forces is retired New Jersey police detective Lieutenant Stephen Rogers. (music) Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, thank you for joining us again.
7: Well, my pleasure being here. Thank you.
0: Lieutenant, what does pressure from groups like Black Lives Matter to defund the police mean to small and rural police forces across the country already struggling to attract and keep officers?
7: Well, the police want to do their job. They want to protect and to serve. But unfortunately, these organizations that go out there and advocate the funding of police, that riot, et cetera, they're actually putting a lot of pressure on these uh, political uh, operatives, these political office holders who tend to uh, support more of the bad guys, if you will, than the good guys, who are the cops.
0: And what does that look like? How does that play out, exactly?
7: Well, a chilling effect across the country with regard to uh, police wanting to do their job. They can't because you have district attorneys and prosecutors who are adopting woke policies that are providing more cover for the criminals than for the victims. The police, again, want to do their job, their hands are tied. And so from the perspective of a police
0: officer, you know, what's going through officers' minds? How are they affected by this overall scenario?
7: Well, unfortunately, a lot of them, uh, you know, there's an old saying, you could do your job and you could really do your job. Uh, My point is, is that uh, proactive policing is gone. Uh, police uh, used to go out and do a lot of proactive, poli- proactive policing, meaning you, you, you look into criminal elements before they actually commit crimes, okay? They're not doing that anymore. They have to be concerned about their pensions, their future, and their families, because frankly, in their minds, and it's true, no one else is.
0: And how is this affecting public safety uh, in these small rural areas?
7: Well, it's affecting them rather dramatically negatively. I could tell you that uh, a lot of the cities that have uh, seen a high rate of crime, uh, that crime is now spilling over into small communities across the country. So it's a very, very bad uh, effect nationwide, but like I said, now it's hitting small communities.
0: What are the differences between the way small rural forces are affected by these sort of social movements and the way large urban forces are?
7: Well, I'll tell you, it affects them basically the same, except that in larger cities, of course, You know, like New York City, for example, you've got 35,000 police officers, they can't even recruit enough to fill all the ranks across that city. Uh, In addition to that, uh, same goes for small communities. We had an entire police department in this country resign. They left. And as a result, there's no protection there, although the politicians say there is. But i like to see the politicians now go out and fight the criminals that these cops had to.
0: And what do you think can can be done to ensure public safety, given all this?
7: Well, it's going to be up to the people. They're going to have to get fed up enough to remove from office every single individual who's not supporting the police. Like I said, cops want to do their job. They don't go on this job to make money. They go on this job to protect and to serve. It's in their blood to to commit themselves for the betterment of society. So it's going to be up to the people. And I tell the people, go out and remove from office those politicians who are looking to defund the police rather than support the police.
0: What's your message to the public about the police force?
7: America's got the greatest police departments in the, United, in, the, in the entire world. They're great. They're good cops. They work hard. Uh, they're dedicated to, again, uh, protecting and serve the people in every large city, to every small town and village. I tell the people, if you see a cop on the street, go up to him once in a while and say, hey, look, I really want to thank you for serving and protecting me and my family. All right. Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, thank you again. Oh, thank you.
0: An IRS agent was shot and killed yesterday, the incident happened during a routine training exercise in northern Phoenix. A spokesperson from the IRS Phoenix office said special agents were in a training exercise at a firing range when the incident occurred. The agent died shortly after being taken to hospital. No details on the agent's identity have been released. No other injuries were reported. The FBI office in Phoenix said it will oversee the investigation Results will then be passed to the local DA's office. The Writers Guild of America met again with representatives of the major studios yesterday as both sides tried to resolve a 108-day writer's strike. That's according to Variety magazine. It comes ahead of a meeting planned Friday with the CEOs of major studios, the heads of Netflix, Warner Brothers, Discovery, NBC, Universal, and Disney are expected to hold a joint call to discuss what comes next. The res- resolution remains elusive after the WEGA responded to the latest proposal from the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers. The two sides remain far apart on several items, including a staffing minimum in TV and a viewership-based streaming residual. The WGA and the studios are expected to resume negotiations today. The parent of Bud Light is partnering with the Washington Commander's football team again. It means the embattled Anheuser-Busch is the team's official beer sponsor. Anheuser-Busch and its Bud Light beer ended a deal with the team last year, while the team's previous owner was under investigation for workplace misconduct and sexual harassment allegations. Bud Light itself is still reeling over the backlash from its partnership with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. But the Commander's president says the organization is thrilled to partner with the company again to create a new and improved experience for fans. A news release says Bud Light will sponsor events and giveaways for Commander's fans. The beer company is also set to present a season kickoff party and host a summer concert series on the Commander's home field. That's along with hosting pregame festivities and offering an in-game cheering section. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ndt.com. Chinese property developer Evergrande files for bankruptcy amid a real estate crisis in China. We'll return with that and more after the break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Trump's legal team is seeking to put off the trial date in the federal election case until 2026. And the former president canceled a press conference scheduled for Monday. He originally claimed he would release evidence of election fraud in Georgia. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy is sharing what he calls his 10 truths. The list he posted on X begins with, God is real, and there are two genders. From food and toiletries to donated hotel rooms, Hawaiians are rallying to help with recovery efforts in Lahaina. Plushy toy toymaker Beanie Babies is also raising funds for the victims with a new limited edition bear. A major development in China's housing market crisis, property developer Evergrande files for bankruptcy protection in the U.S. The company owes over $300 billion, more than the GDP of many developing countries. Joining me live is NTD business's Don Ma. That's a lot of debt, Don. Well,
8: Chris, you're definitely not wrong there. The property company's debt loan reached over $340 billion by the end of last year. So, as you mentioned, that's more than the GDP of some countries, um, for example, New Zealand. So, Chris, I want us to just think about this for a moment. A single company has the amount of debt that is more than a year's gross domestic product of an entire country. And and compared to, comparing to China's GDP, it's roughly about 2%. So how did Evergrande get
0: to this point, Don?
8: Okay, so in 2021, under the weight of the over $300 billion in liabilities, Evergrande defaulted on its debt. So it was the the world's most heavily indebted property developer. Um, The company's default came after Beijing began cracking down on excessive borrowing by developers, uh, which was an attempt to rein in soaring housing prices. And just last month, the company disclosed losses of $81 billion over the period of 2021 and 2022. So in China, home buyers often purchase apartments prior to their completion. But right now, it seems like Evergrande's business model of getting customers to pay for properties before they are built is no longer sustainable, Chris.
0: How is this going to affect China's housing crisis overall here?
8: Well, it's probably going to shake people's confidence uh, in the sector even more. Um, So many developers have been dragged into this property crisis since two years ago after Evergrande um, Evergrande China's real estate sector was long seen uh, as a vital growth engine in China and accounted for as much as 30% of the country's GDP. But Evergrande's default in 2021 sent shockwaves through China's property markets. damaging homeowners and, and the broader financial system as well in the country. Um, so since Evergrande's collapse, several other major developers in China have defaulted on their debts as well. So there's there's a whole range of impacts here. What's the path forward for this company? So earlier, um, the company unveiled its debt restructure plan. Uh, it hoped that the proposed uh, restructuring will alleviate the company's pressure of offshore debts and hoping it could help the company resume operations. But here's the thing. It would require additional financing of, of, of up to over $43 billion. So Chris, I don't know, I, I mean, based on its track record of defaults, where is it going to get that financing? Uh, But still, the company hopes to return to normal operations in in the next three years. Uh, The firm in April disclosed uh, it didn't yet have enough uh, creditor support to uh, to implement its restructuring plan. So we'll see, Chris. All
0: right. Thank you, Don. Thank you. President Biden is hosting foreign leaders at the Camp David retreat for the first time since 2015. He's greeting Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and South Korean President Yoon suk Yeol today. The White House described the summit as a historic milestone. Both Japanese and South Korean leaders have arrived in Maryland for the trilateral meeting. The summit is meant to serve as a show of force amid provocation from North Korea and rising aggressiveness from China. Senior administration officials say the leaders will discuss defense, technology and economic cooperation and begin to set up a three-way hotline for crises. The hope is that this summit will become an annual event between the three countries. Ahead of the South Korean president's trip, President Biden and the First Lady sent him condolence flowers for the death of his father. Yoon's father passed away Tuesday at the age of 92. When we come back, two brothers growing up in the West fall in love with classical Chinese dance. Now they're world champion dancers aiming for more titles, we have their story after the break. And a sheep shearer in New Zealand shares her story and how the ongoing Women's Soccer World Cup is inspiring her. More soon, here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Two brothers discover traditional Chinese culture through dance. They grew up in the West, but have a profound understanding of this ancient art form. They're both professional dancers participating in the NTD International Classical Chinese Dance Competition this September. Let's hear how they grasped the essence of traditional Chinese culture. Lucas Browdy won first place in the junior division at the International Classical Chinese Dance Competition two years ago. I feel like with classical Chinese dance, is a bit different because
9: behind it, there's so much. That was 5,000 years of culture, right? And then hidden in between the dance, there's like all these virtues, all these concepts, all these, all
0: this morality is actually being displayed through dancing. Lucas Browdy and his brother, Jesse Browdy, were drawn to classical Chinese dance and joined Shen Yun Performing Arts, a leader in this ancient art form. I've been watching Shen
5: Yun since I was a kid, right? But this was the first time that I kind of actually understood the dances, especially the story ones. I almost cried a couple times that night. And uh, I remember going home that night, and I, I wanted to be a Shen Yun dancer.
0: While other kids were enjoying their youth, these two brothers were dedicated to honing their dance skills. They faced their own distinct challenges along the way.
9: Naturally, my limbs are a bit longer, and I'm a bit weaker than everyone else, and also maybe I'm a bit tighter in places that you're supposed to be relaxed, and so it's harder for me to, achieve, to do, perform the jumping techniques and like flipping and stuff. So for me, my big problem would be I have to put in the extra 200% to, to build my strength in order to be able to achieve these uh, tentacle like jumps and flips. Although. The path of dance isn't
5: very easy, but I think going through it will make you a much stronger person in the heart. There's so many principles of ancient Chinese culture that go into the dance. And so um, at first I did struggle with this growing up in the West, but I, f- I guess it's a matter of how well you grasp the culture, how, how, well you, how much you want to grasp the culture, in a way. Sometimes you feel like you go through like long periods of time without getting making much progress. You don't see any hope, I guess, to put it in an extreme way. I guess a lot, of, a lot of the times I kind of just, just have to sit myself down or sit myself down with like a friend or my brother or something like that, and then we just kind of talk about why we're here, what we're doing this for. Like we're not just here to dance, we're not just here to you know, practice this art form, but we're also trying to, we have a greater purpose, we're trying to spread this culture to uh, the people of the world and tell the truth of what's happening in China, the persecution
0: and stuff like that. Through the day-to-day grind of training the two brothers overcame their inner anxieties and pushed beyond their physical limits in turn they live full rewarding lives first through the dance training i think
9: it taught me diligence perseverance and to be positive those few lessons i definitely it
5: built into me pretty strongly and i'm pretty grateful for that ancient chinese culture is definitely and, and divinely inspired culture right and then when you believe that there's this sort of higher being that's bestowing these gifts upon you sort of it kind of humbles you in a way that it humbles you a lot actually because you know that nothing that everything that I have everything that I'm everything that I basically stand for is, is, is given to me almost um, sort of like in the Renaissance. Like all, like all of the uh, paintings and sculptures,
0: they're all glorifying the divine. The two brothers won gold and silver in the 2021 NTD International Classical Chinese Dance Competition. This year, the competition will take place in early September at Purchase College in New York State. Lucas and Jesse encourage dancers from around the world to participate. Through the competition, you improve a lot. Because you're practicing
5: techniques, you're practicing movements, and then you're stringing them together in like a, a two-minute technique piece, and you're doing it over and over and over again. And so your strength, your your dancing, your stamina will all improve greatly. And then through the story dance, your acting, your biao uh, xian I guess, will improve a lot. We have we portray
9: these really amazing stories filled, jam-packed with lessons and morals. By joining this competition, I feel like you improve a lot as a person. I'm very honored to be able to compete with all these people, these great people. We'll improve together, go through much together, and we'll go through strong,
5: so ciao.
0: The FIFA Women's World Cup is wrapping up this weekend. Apart from captivating fans, the sport also inspires some people in a different way. One of them is sheep shearer Torito Tickborn. 21-year-old is a Maori, the indigenous people of New Zealand. Soccer is not her sport of choice, but with the Women's World Cup, she's given the sport a chance. She's found inspiration from the female athletes competing in the World Tournament.
1: I do just think it's really cool to see women athletes like up there on the world stage, like being so
9: powerful and just doing their thing. Yeah,
0: I love to see it. Shearing sheep is a physical job that requires training and skill. Hutana Tickborn said shepherds also approach their work like soccer players. She said the industry has been male dominated, but as with the rise in women's soccer, women shearers have become more common. Some shearers can average up to 300 sheep a day. Now for an episode of Strong Mind and Body. We'll look at the importance of washing fruits and vegetables and get some tips on the best ways to do it. Here's Gina Marie.
10: Fruits and vegetables contain essential nutrients vital for human health, but not cleaning them before eating them can leave behind pesticides, harmful bacteria and viruses. Let's get some practical guidance on how to properly wash fruits and vegetables. This will help to minimise the risk of disease transmission. Pesticide residues found on fruits and vegetables can disrupt the body's endocrine system. They can also harm the nervous system and even increase the risk of cancer. There are a variety of cleaning methods such as using salt water, baking soda, vinegar, soaking in rice water, and vegetable and fruit washes. But the easiest way is to just rinse them with running water. Start by soaking fruits and vegetables in a bucket of water. Next you'll want to rinse them under a gentle and continuous flow of running water for a few minutes. If the surface of the produce is uneven, use a soft bristle brush to aid in scrubbing. If you have concerns about the cleanliness of stem portions, feel free to cut and discard them. To obtain fruits and vegetables with lower pesticide levels, purchase seasonal produce. This is because out-of-season fruits and vegetables tend to have higher pesticide residues. Besides rinsing them with water, it's also ideal to cook them in an uncovered pot. This allows the pesticides, which are mostly not heat resistant, to dissipate along with the released gases. One vegetable you'll need to be careful about is raw lettuce. It's particularly concerning in light of recent incidences in Taiwan. Listeria bacteria were detected in lettuce sold at convenience stores. Raw vegetables are susceptible to contamination by harmful bacteria. Such infections can lead to sepsis or meningitis. Vulnerable populations such as the elderly and young children need to be careful. Pregnant women who contain listeria-contaminated foods may face an increased risk of miscarriage. Cooking lettuce before consumption effectively eliminates the potential for illness. It's hard to imagine cooking lettuce, but in Asia it's a favored way to prepare it. To minimize the risk of illness associated with food consumption, business, government and consumers need to make a key effort. It starts with farmers using pesticides correctly or better yet using no pesticides at all. Also, regular food safety inspections conducted by regulating agencies are a must. As for consumers, make sure to choose reputable products with proper certifications. You'll also want to practice proper cleaning and cooking techniques.
0: Are you an avocado aficionado? Shake Shack is now looking for an avocado connoisseur to be their chief avocado officer. Duties include personally inspecting and taste testing selected avocados in stores to make sure they are served perfectly. The winner will also get to participate in brainstorming sessions to incorporate avocados into the menu. A $3,000 avocado stipend is included and free Shake Shack for a year. You can go to ShakeShack.com for more information. The deadline is today. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.